0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.
1: It's now time for
2: Activate, a show brought to you by Amnesty International.
3: Kia ora koutou everyone, this is Greg from the ACTIVATE show, Amnesty International show on Plains FM 96.9 FM and we are in July, it's halfway through the year, I can't believe it, but welcome to the show on behalf of everyone on the ACTIVATE team. This month's feature interview we're going to have the second part of the interview that Catherine did with Claudia Elliott from the UN Development Programme, She's also a lawyer, And coming up in the show, we've also got um, our usual good news segment and also some human rights in the news. Just as we start the show, I just wanted to highlight, if you go to Amnesty International's uh, webpage, amnesty.org.nz, one of the current campaigns that you're probably aware of uh, that we're working on at the moment is for Asylum Seekers in Detention, This is going to be an ongoing campaign over the next few months. There's a petition on there. I very much encourage you to sign but also to encourage others to sign and get involved in regional and local campaigning and national campaigning as well on this ongoing uh, campaign on the rights of people who are seeking asylum in New Zealand not to be detained in either prison uh, facilities or in police cells either. There's a lot more detail on that. There's a detailed report on the Amnesty website. Just wanted to raise that right now, please encourage you to go and have a look at that information as well. in the meantime let's get on with our show for July
1: Hi, this is Kerry, I'm just with an update on some human rights in the news uh, i'm going to talk this month about the Cuba protest that happened on uh, last weekend, which was The weekend of the 10th and 11th of July. So um, on the 11th of July, thousands of people took to the streets in Cuba to peacefully protest over the economy, shortages of medicine, the response to COVID-19 and harsh restrictions on freedom of expression and assembly. Amnesty International is uh, keeping a close eye on this situation and verifying and fact-checking the information we receive. But um, the Cuban authorities do not allow independent human rights organisations to visit the country and independent human rights lawyers are prevented from working in the country. So this can make Amnesty's challenge a little difficult at times. However, what we, where we are up to at the moment is the local Authorities in Cuba are looking for protest organisers and instigators. Uh, On the 14th of July, representatives from the Prosecutor-General's Office and the Ministry of Interior said on state television that they were investigating individual responsibility for the organisation of the protests and the crimes committed during the process. A colonel uh, representing the Interior Ministry said the majority of those detained were not revolutionary so therefore they meant not pro-government in Cuba, and stated that many had previous convictions for a range of crimes, but including crimes that Amnesty International has previously stated are inconsistent with international standards, such as public disorder, that we wouldn't view as a crime. The colonel vowed uh, we'll find the organisers, the instigators, and said that those chanting um, a song some associate with sparking the protests would be considered instigators. Some activists and independent journalists remain under house arrest. On the 15th of July, Amnesty spoke to an independent journalist in Cuba who had both experienced physical surveillance by uniformed police officers outside their home and were also unable to leave their home. Um, this amounts to house arrest and is a violation of international human rights laws. The UN High Commissioner on Human Rights has called on Cuba to release those detained for peacefully exercising their right to protest. The Committee to Protect Journalists has called on authorities to immediately and unconditionally release all journalists detained during the protests. Potentially hundreds of people have been detained. Human rights lawyers have produced a working list of 136 people and another list of names from the NGO Prisoners Defenders says it thinks up to 187 names may be. Uh, involved relating to people who've been detained or who have gone missing. Um, Now while the protests on Sunday were largely peaceful, the authorities deployed police and security forces to disperse and detain protesters. Reports of how many people are detained range from hundreds to thousands. It is reported that at least one person died in the context of the protests, and it's unclear if the authorities will release people or whether the protests will start again. So what can you do? You can support and take action by signing our petition. Go to amnesty.org forward slash en. Uh, for the latest news on the Cuba protests updates. Uh, you can also um, publicly urge the Cuban government to stop repressing peaceful demonstrators and instead guarantee the right to freedom of expression and of peaceful assembly. Um, so find out more about what you can do on our uh, amnesty.org forward slash EN page, where all of the latest case information will be updated as soon as we have it. Thank you. Bye.
2: Good evening, Claudia. Thank you so much for making yourself available to talk about your fascinating experience working in Somalia. I hope you're well.
0: I am, thank you, and thank you for inviting me.
2: You ended up in Somalia in 2019. What took you to Somalia?
0: My boss from Afghanistan who said, if you liked Afghanistan, you'll love Somalia.
2: And she's right. So some of our listeners may well have heard your previous interview on Afghanistan. I take it this was similar type of work, or how was it different?
0: Um, it was working in the justice sector, but it its brief was to assess what level the judges and prosecutors were operating at and, if needed, to provide suggestions for training.
2: Okay. By way of background, a lot of our listeners will know this, but Somalia has been at war since 1991 and it's divided along clan lines. When you yes. first arrived there, what were some of the first impressions you got on how that those clan divisions actually work on a day-to-day level?
0: I was given a training team of 30-odd judges and prosecutors who were going to be set up to train all of the judges and prosecutors across Somalia. But the difficulty was they wouldn't talk to each other. They didn't know each other. They'd never met someone from different areas of the country. And they were keen to sort of try to get along with each other. But they still had those um, concerns about clan differences.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The justice system there. What does it consist of?
0: There are two. Well, there are three parts to the justice system. I guess the the first is um, informal courts, which are Sharia based, and they sit wherever there happens to be a space. So it could be under a tree. It could be in a um, a part of the police station. It could be wherever there's a place to sit. The second system is the Sharia system, which is based on Sharia law and is probably not very women and children friendly in that they are not a part of the decision making. They are represented by men in their families. And the third part of the system is the statutory law system, and that operates well, it could operate similarly to what we've got in New Zealand. It was developed by the British when they were when they invaded Somalia.
2: Mm. This third type, then the formal side, how did you see that functioning, say in comparison to a well-functioning justice system like we have here in new Zealand, what what was the gap?
0: The gap was training. Um, Many of the judges were not legally trained at all. Many of them out in the rural areas or different territories were camel drivers, camel herders um, who had just been asked to do the job. Um, And they had no resources. So it was a very limited system of justice. But the chief justice in Mogadishu is a very forward-thinking, well-educated man. He was 39 when I met him, and he had a master's in law from the UK. And when I asked him what do you want me to teach about Sharia law? He said, nothing. I want you to teach statutory law. So that's what we did.
2: Did you get the impression that Somalia's justice system had always been functioning this poorly or had the decades of war contributed?
0: From what I had heard, there had been a well-functioning justice system before the 1990s wars um, and that they they had a system set up by the Italians and the British, so they had reasonable civil and criminal law um, and it operated reasonably well. But that all finished when the war started. And if it's anything like currently, all of the judges would have had British or U.S. or whatever um, opportunities to leave and go live elsewhere. And that's probably what most of them did.
2: Mm. What barriers to justice did you see for women and children? There
0: was very limited law applying to women, Um, and what was was punitive. For instance, if a young woman went and met a young man, um, she could be charged with an offence, which led to imprisonment, mostly the male could have been charged, but they weren't, so it was a a it was application of the law that was difficult.
2: did you make any inroads? We haven't changed
0: the law at all, and that's not for the international community to do, except of course the British when they When they took over, they made the law. Um, And there are organisations in Somalia at present who are working with the Somali government to change parts of the law, including parts that will be beneficial to women, such as domestic violence areas but it's slow Mm. and um, it's a matter of
2: how it's applied. Mm. Did you come across women and girls that want to be part of the justice system, as in police officers, judges, prosecutors, defence, lawyers, or is it just completely off their radar due to lack of options?
0: No. No. I have six women in my um, in our training team, who are prosecutors and one woman judge. She is the only woman judge in the whole of Somalia, and she is. And, and the prosecutors too, are some of the bravest women you could ever come across. They get weekly threats of death, and they ignore them. And when I say to them, why don't you just go away and give up and go home and live a happy life, they say, they'd come and kill us in our homes, so why wouldn't we do something that we can contribute to.
2: Mm. Incredibly brave. Mm. The training systems that you were trying to, or well, that you did implement there, how did the different clans uh, work together?
0: That was a difficulty. Um, <clears throat> when I first arrived, a very wise clinical psychologist friend of mine said get them to appoint you a cultural advisor so I did and they appointed the 2IC in the supreme court who was the most fearsome person they could have possibly picked and he's just been an absolute treasure but I couldn't think how to get the clans to work together within the training group. So I thought, hmm, what can I do? So I invited them all one by one to join my Fano, which made us a cohesive group. They all agreed to join except for one who wanted his own whānau. But he joined ours anyway. And once we had that overriding structure, that group that gave you benefits but also responsibilities, then they started to work together. And then they were inseparable Mm. when I said to them, can you go and do an exercise in your clan groups? They said, no. Nope. And when I asked why, they said, because we're whanau. We we're work whānau. together. So that worked really well. And now they want to go and train in different areas of the country with different clans to just show them that They can work together with different clans and they can be friends with people in different clans. Mm. And that's a a small start, but a significant one.
2: Absolutely. You're hoping to go back to Somalia once we are in a post COVID world. Mm -hmm. What are you hoping to achieve when you go back? More training. We've just started the initial
0: basic training of what is it to be a judge, what do judges do, what a prosecutors do? And they didn't see the need for defense lawyers, so I straightened them out <laughs> on that one. Um, now we're looking at the actual operation of a court the roles and how they operate for each of the parts, um, and then on to decision-making and sentencing. So that will be the end of the basic
2: training. Right. Is anyone carrying on this training in your team's absence? No. No.
0: No, we tried doing some by by um, Skype, but the internet in in Mogadishu went down about every ten minutes, and then someone would trip over the camera cord on their way out, <laughs> and that would go down. So we agreed that that was not the most productive way to to train.
2: I understand. Like I asked you in the previous interview on Afghanistan, in the um, question from Julia Gillard, if you had all the power in the world, what's the one thing you'd change for women and girls in Somalia? Having a functioning justice system, which is statute-based
0: rather than the more traditional systems That would then open the doors to women and girls for freedom and education.
2: Thank you very much. And thank you on behalf of all of our listeners for you coming in this evening and telling us all about your extraordinary time in Somalia. Thanks again. Thank you.
3: Kia again, this is Greg here from the Activate team. Um, as we do every month, I'm just going to share a good news story with you just to demonstrate that um, Amnesty's work that you're all doing and others are doing does have an effect. Um, this story comes out of Burundi in East Africa, and this is a, a guy called Jermaine Rukuki, who in, on the 1st of July it was announced that he would be released after serving more than four years in prison, um, the Amnesty International director for regional director for Eastern Southern Africa, De Prost Machena, said on the first of July, "It's terrific news that Germaine is finally free. He should never been jailed in the first place, as he was arrested, prosecuted, and convicted simply for his human rights work. This is a great uh, moment for his." for Jermaine, his family and his friends, and also for the hundreds and thousands of people around the world who tirelessly campaigned for his release. It is also a victory for human rights. And Jermaine's release uh, came after, earlier on the 4th of June, the Appeal Court in Burundi had actually reduced his sentence of 32 years down to one year. So Rakuki was actually arrested originally in July 2017 and was convicted in 2018, on charges that he was um, involved in rebellion, also threatening state security, participation in insurrectional movement, and also attack on the authority of the state. And um, essentially Amnesty and other human rights groups maintained that those charges were to some extent trumped up, and it was really a reaction to uh, Rakuki's human rights advocacy and other work as well. The appeal came um, after Jermaine Rukuki had already served four years in prison, but it was appealed in, and the decision was announced on fourth of June. Um, the Nghtangwa Court of Appeal overturned Jermaine's conviction for the participation in insurrection move, uh, movement. Uh, unfortunately, some one of the other charges, rebellion, was upheld, so the sentence was reduced from thirty two years down to one year and also a fine of 50,000 uh, Burundian francs. So at that point in early June, it was um, expected that he would be released imminently. And so the release actually came uh, um, just a, about a month later, on the 1st of July. So this is just another example where Amnesty International, but not only Amnesty International, other international human rights groups have appealed and worked on behalf of Inside um, Burundi and other parts of Africa and internationally to get Jermaine to release, and this has been successful in this case, which is excellent news. As we come close to the end of the show for July, I just wanted to update you quickly on a couple of things that are coming up, particularly for our listeners uh, locally in Ototahi in Canterbury. Um, The next letter writing event, which is organized by Stefan and or John and Lois Daly is coming up on Wednesday the 11th of August. If you want more details about how to join that um, active letter writing group, then please go to our Facebook page Amnesty International in Christchurch and all the details are on there for the next letter writing. And on the 12th of August we are going to be holding the next Christchurch Regional Team Meeting if you happen to be based in Ōtotahi. Uh, come along and the details, again, you can get through our Amnesty International uh, Christchurch page. Um, also, you can email us at amnestychristchurch at gmail.com. That's all one word, Amnesty Christchurch. Or you can contact us, send us a message through Messenger on Facebook, Amnesty and Christchurch as well. Um, we can also get a hold of us if you need to through the Amnesty headquarters Um, through the Amnesty website, amnesty.org.nz. So we look forward to potentially catching up with some new faces. So we've come to the end of another Activate show for July 2021. Thank you so much for tuning in, um, whether it was on the podcast or even if you had a sneaky listen live on a Monday evening, which would be uh, exciting as well. Uh, thank you for that. Thanks to our guest, Claudia Elliott, uh, for speaking with Catherine on the work that she's been doing with the UN Development Programme in Somalia. Um, just a reminder, as always, please go to the Amnesty website, amnesty.org.nz, if you want to get more involved and in, in or to continue the work that you've been doing for human rights, whether it's signing a petition for the asylum seekers in detention, whether it is um, getting involved and in understanding more of the human rights issues um, that Amnesty's involved in and, and the things that you can do as well. Thank you so much to our um, friends and our team at Plains FM 96.9 FM. Thanks to Pete, our production uh, manager, and also to Nikki and to Kate and to Laura in the office as well, who do all the hard work behind the scenes. Uh, Thank you to my colleagues from um, Activate, to Stefan, to Kerry, and to Catherine as well. Uh, Hope you all have a great month. Um, Please do remember to um, keep up the good work for human rights, and we'll catch up with you all in August. Uh, And we'll go out to the sounds of Peter Gabriel. Um, from his uh, album, I think it was 1983, but I'm not sure about that. But anyway, the track is Biko, which was remixed recently for the 60 years of Amnesty International um, celebration of their birthday 60 years. So have a listen and uh, have a great month, everyone. Kakite. Oh,